listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're going to jump in today. Uh, What are we talking about? We're talking about how to ensure that your fire for God never goes out, how your fire for the Lord never goes out. Uh, Keep the fire burning. You know, that's something that you have to actively do. Uh, One thing that you'll know if you've been around church people for any period of time, uh, it seems like this is the trend if you don't touch it, right? If you don't uh, take active steps to make sure you stay on fire. You get saved and you're like rocked by the power of God when you get saved and and newly saved people, super zealous, super on fire, telling everybody they know about Jesus. And then if, if they don't stay on this actively, what happens? They, over years, they begin to trail off. And before you know it, you've been in church for 20 years and now you barely attend. You attend once or twice a month. You, you know, it just seems to trail off. Why is that? It's because the people that we're talking about have not actively engaged in staying on fire. They've not actively engaged in staying on fire. So there are things that we have to do as believers to stay on fire for God, to stay hungry, to stay in that place of uh, zeal, stirred up to do the work of God. I'm going to go over uh, four tips today. I'm going to give you four things. Write them in your notes. Uh, this is really a roadmap to staying on fire for God, making sure that your fire never goes out. And these are important. And I, and I can tell you uh, from the word of God that these are literal keys to staying on fire for God. Let me just reiterate that again. It is our responsibility. In fact, you're in the comments section, put it in the comments. It's my responsibility to stay on fire for God. Put it in the comments. It's my responsibility to stay on fire for God. And I, the reason I want you to write that is because I, I'm, I'm convinced that people think, you know, uh, you know, once I get saved, you know, God's just going to take care of the rest. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Salvation is uh, two-sided. And what I mean by that is there's God's part and there's your part. There's God's part and there's your part. I have a responsibility to stay on fire for God. I've got a responsibility to be dedicated to the kingdom. And so... Um, as you're writing that, I'm going to give you four things today that are going to help you immensely that you can even make, you could make it as a checklist. You could, you know, one of the things we talk about often on, on, uh, the broadcast, we talk about, um, introspection, making sure you know what's going on with your own life. Um, there was an old preacher that's been around for many, many years and, and, uh, grew a very successful church, large church. I was with him once and I asked him the question that I often ask, which is, um, 
what would you tell the younger version of yourself? And one of the things that he told me, he said, you need to always be able to know where you're at, your spiritual climate, meaning honestly being able to judge yourself and say, am I slacking off? Am I getting less hungry for God? Am I not pressing in the way I used to? He was saying, this is huge. And he, he kept this going in his own life into his eighties. And you know what he told me? He said, even though I'm the pastor, he said, you know, our church has a Saturday night prayer service, Saturday night prayer. Of course, he's got to preach Sunday morning, but he said, do you know, in all the years, all the years that I've pastored this church and it's decades, it's decades and decades. He said, I have never missed a Saturday night prayer service. He told me there was like one or two times when an emergency happened and he had to go to like emergency to the hospital or something like that for somebody that was in the church. But he said in in all these decades, I have never missed a Saturday night prayer service, even though I'm the pastor, even though I preach Sunday morning. And so he was saying that the important thing is that you're able to take an accurate reading of your spiritual temperature. Put that in the comments because what a thought. Take an accurate reading of your spiritual temperature. Write it in. I need to be able to take an accurate reading of my spiritual temperature. One of the reasons people fall off is because they don't even understand when they're growing cold, which is a sad thing. It means there's not an awareness there. There's not a spiritual awareness. There's not a spiritual discernment. I need to be able to take an accurate reading of my spiritual temperature. See, because if you're beginning to decline, right, that's the easiest time to make the correction and stay on fire. If you notice yourself beginning to decline, that is the easiest time to make a small correction and and to get it back on track. Um, If you wait until you're all the way down into, you know, you're cold, then it's gonna be a big turning of the ship to get yourself back on fire for God. And the better thing to do is to be more, uh, more often be introspective and say, Hey, every week, whatever, where am I at? What did I do this week? Where was my dedication at this week? What, what, where was my action? How, if anybody was observing my life, here's a great uh, litmus test. If anybody was observing my life, would they look at me and say, here's a, here's somebody that's on fire for God. That's a great way to do it because, you know, I'll give you an example. If you have children, do you ever, do you have family that lives out of state or out of town and maybe you only see them for major holidays or something and you take your kids uh, to go see those family members and when, when you get there for the first time, they look and say, oh my goodness, your kids are so big. Your kids are so huge. You ever had that happen? Well, why do they think that? How come you didn't wake up that morning and go, oh, my kids are so huge. It's because you've been with them day after day after day, hour after hour after hour. The growth is happening, but it's small. But they haven't seen your children in a long time. So over that long period of time, it seems like your children have grown a ton and they have. You've just not noticed it. That's what happens with yourself is that you might be getting colder little by little by little by little and you don't recognize it because you're around you every day. But the question that you could ask yourself, which I think is an important question, is if someone was observing my life this week, would they say, 
That's somebody that is on fire for God. Use the outside audit. That's a great way to put it. Use the outside audit and say, man, if people are watching my life, and by the way, they are, people are watching your life. Would they say about me, man, he, she is on fire for God, man, they're hungry for God. And if they wouldn't say that about you, the question you got to ask is why wouldn't they? Why would someone not look at my life and say, man, they are on fire for God. Is there something I'm not doing? Well, obviously, but what is it? And that's what we're going to cover today. How to ensure that you don't lose your fire. Don't lose your fire. Um, give you these four things. We'll break them down, but I want you to take notes and write them, write them as well. Make it a checklist for yourself. Uh, the first one is this number one, the love direction, which direction is your love traveling love direction? See, because, and and let me just, um, break this down your love direction. Love is a focus. And I think that's important to understand. Love is a focus. And so you have to ask yourself, what direction is my love flowing? What am I allowing to have my love, right? The direction of your love. My focus is my love. Whatever I spend all my time focusing on is what really I've chosen to love. Because remember, again, I've taught this many times on the broadcast. Love is not a feeling. Love's not a feeling. It's an action. It's a direction. It's a focus. You can know, and and I'm sure you guys have seen this. You can know what somebody really loves just by hanging around them and listening to what they talk about. Listening to what they talk about. You, for example, you could get in a conversation with me. You are never, ever, unless you bring it up, you're never going to hear me talk about the Dallas Cowboys. You're never going to hear me talk about the Boston Red Sox or the New York Yankees. You're never going to hear me talk about the New York Knicks. Why is that? I don't, I don't care. I honestly don't care. But then you might get around somebody else and all they talk about is Tom Brady. You might get around somebody else and all they talk about is, you know, whatever it might be. But their focus is on what they love. So why, why, why are they talking about it? Well, obviously one of the reasons they're talking about it is that it's been their focus. It's what they're filling themselves with, right? It's what they're filling themselves with. Have you ever met a person that loves sports so much that they're up on every uh, statistic? They're up on all the new players that have been drafted or those that have been traded or those that have been acquired from free agency. They know the, the scores of all the games. They know all, I mean, everything. Uh, you know, maybe they, they love it, you know. Aaron or Jake, Miriam says, some people only talk about what they hate. Does that mean they really love it? You're not going, let me give you a statistic on this. You're not going to find uh, that it's the case as often. Uh, I, I, would, I would say it more like this. I mean, that can happen, but it's not going to be the majority because um, nobody wants, I mean, no human being wants to like stress themselves out constantly. And it's exhausting to only focus on what you hate all the time. 
Now there might be things that annoy you, but again, think about this. Uh, it's what you're consuming because it's where your interest lies. So if, if one of the things you're consuming is like, for example, uh, politics, you're always consuming uh, information and content on politics. Well, you might see things within the political realm that annoy the crap out of you and that anger you and wish they were different, but why do you even know about them? Because you're interested in consuming political content. And because that's your interest, even though that that's the arena you're very interested in, within that arena, you're gonna see things that you like and things that you dislike. And so you're, yes, it's gonna be part of it, but I'll give you an interesting example. I've given this uh, before when Yelp came out and I'm sure everybody that's watching, you know what Yelp is, or you've used it. It's, it's an app that allows you to rate restaurants and businesses and write reviews and all this stuff, take pictures and, uh, and all that. Uh, when that came out, people were sure that Yelp was going to be one of those things where people just got on it to bash restaurants because they'd had a bad experience. They're just going to get on there to just like, you know, because when things go right, people are like, yeah, they should go right. I paid money to eat. And when things go wrong, people get ticked off because they're like, I paid all this money and my, my food was cold and my food, my service was bad. But what they were surprised to find out was that the majority of reviews on Yelp are actually positive reviews. They're positive reviews. So it means people weren't just sitting down to bash a restaurant or bash a business. The majority of people are sitting down to write how much they enjoyed the restaurant, how much they enjoyed the business, how great of an experience they had. So it was interesting for them to find it was a majority positive reviews. People don't want to be unhappy. They want to be happy. And so, yes, there might be things that annoy you within the realm of what you're interested in. But again, where's your focus? It's on the political. It's on sports. You know, you might follow sports and just always be mad at this player because they're always whining during games or they're always uh, sitting around and, 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 and they're mad because they didn't get the contract they wanted. Like, what a baby. He's making millions already. The only reason you know any of that is because your focus has been on sports. That's the content you're consuming. So... Your, your love is a direction. Your love is a focus. If you're a foodie, then you're going to be uh, watching stuff on YouTube about making different foods and where you can eat and searching out new places and highly rated places and whatever. So you see what I mean? So your, your love is a focus. It's a direction. And you got to ask yourself, what direction is my love flowing in? What direction is my focus flowing in? Because here's truly where people begin to break down because they don't put their focus on what is proper. And as a result, they become unfocused. (laughs) Let me, let me give it to you as a quote so you can write it in the comments. If I don't direct my focus, I will become unfocused. Put that in the comments. If I don't direct my focus, I will become unfocused. You've got to get that principle. It's huge. Huge. Um, I'm going to take you to two places where this is so, where this is seen. Very important. First of all, I want you to see the book of Colossians. If I don't direct my focus, 
I'll become unfocused. And that's a massive problem. The good news is we've got the ability to direct our focus. We have the ability to do that. And that's a gift from God. If I don't direct my focus, it's like, I like, I like how Dave Ramsey says this. He says, um, if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. (laughs) And that's true. If you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. Same principle works here. If I don't direct my focus, you could say the same thing. If I don't tell my focus where to go, I'll wonder where my focus went. I'll become unfocused if I don't direct my focus. And this is what Paul wrote. He wrote it multiple times. He wrote it to, first, you can see, we're going to look at the, what he wrote to the, the Colossians. It's Colossians chapter three. And listen to this. Verse one, Colossians three, one and two. If, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Did you, did you catch that phrase? Set your minds. So Paul's teaching us here, we actually have the ability to set our own minds. We can set them in the same way that we would set a thermometer, or excuse me, a thermostat. I thought this was so cool. Uh, Tiffany got me a gift for my birthday this year. I, I would, I, something I looked at, it's, it's like a wand that you use to cook something. Maybe you've never heard of this. It's a method of cooking called sous vide. And Basically you filled it, you fill a huge pot or a a huge tub with water and then you vacuum seal whatever you're going to cook, whether that's meat, potatoes, vegetables, whatever you put that meat in the water, submerge it. And then you drop this wand into the water and you set the temperature and you just let that stuff cook for hours and hours and hours. We had the whole team last night. We had Zach and Heather. We had Tiffany. The only person we were missing was Jen and Ralph. Um, Heather was there, Tiff, uh, Carolyn, everybody. And we decided to sous vide steaks. First time ever doing it since the gift was given. And thank God the gift was given because it was like mind blowing. So we got these steaks. We, we, we seasoned them. We vacuum sealed them into bags. We submerged them into water. And then before we went to church last night, I put the wand in and we set that thing for 130 degrees, 130 degrees. And then those steaks cooked in the water at 130 degrees for three hours, for three hours, which cooked them to a perfect medium rare. We pulled them out, sliced open the bags and seared them on the cast iron pan for about two minutes. And let me tell you, it was life changing. I thought of this last night when I was putting that wand in and I was tapping the touch screen on the top to set that temperature. You have the ability to tell that water how hot or how cool you want it to be. The water doesn't decide how hot it's going to be. You decide it by what you set. And that's the thing. People think that, you know, my mind just does this. My mind, I get all these thoughts. You can set your mind. Just like that, that cooker, you can set it. And, and once you set it, it will define 
It will define where that water goes. It will define where your focus goes. And that's exactly how it works. You set it and it defines what that's going to be. Talks about it again here with the Philippians. And I want to um, read it to you from Philippians chapter four. Uh, Verse eight, we'll start with. Listen to what Paul said to the Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Uh, One passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you know what he told them they could do? They could take every thought captive and make it obey Jesus Christ. You can take thoughts and put them in prison, Paul said, taking every thought that exalts itself, take every thought captive and make it obey Jesus Christ. You can set your focus. You can set your mind. So this is actively done. It's not passive. You don't get saved and then passively catch on fire. This is actively done, actively done. So the first thing that we're, we're giving you today is a a place to stay, uh, introspective is what is the direction my love is flowing? How do I actively set my focus and ensure that that's the direction? That's what I'm, that's where I'm consuming. Well, I love that story that I told you that that pastor shared with me when he had that husband that came into his office and said, you know, pastor, I just want to tell you, I don't love my wife anymore. I'm not in love with her anymore. What should I do? And the pastor simply answered, go home and love her. And the guy thought the pastor didn't understand what he was saying and reiterated it. No, I'm telling you, I don't love her. I'm telling you, I'm not in love with her anymore. Yeah. He said, yeah, go home and love her. Why? It's a focus. It's an action. It's a focus. It's an action. I'm, I'm deciding where I'm going to put my focus. I'm putting my focus on God and the things of God. This is going to be something that maybe no Christian has ever talked to you about. I know churches don't really teach it like they should. I've been to a lot of churches. I want to talk to you for a second on the subject of, this is the still point one, meditation. Why are no Christians talking about meditation? Why is it that we, we hear that word and we think about it like it's a new age practice? Why do we hear that word and think of Eastern mysticism? Why do we think of like, different martial arts disciplines when we, when we hear meditation, it's because they've overtaken this concept and used it, but it was a godly thing. God, it's God's thing. God, God's the one who invented meditation. Set your mind on things above. What does that mean? You have to meditate on those things. What did God say to Joshua as he was assuming that role of leadership over Israel? He said, Joshua chapter one and verse eight, take this book of the law. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and 
night, day and night. And so I'm going to give you this practical step of your love focus. It needs to be a meditation, a constant meditation of your heart. People don't realize how powerful meditation is, what you meditate on. Let me, let me pull this up so I can give you, cause I know this is going to help us. Um, I'm going to give you the actual Webster's dictionary definition. I think it'll help us. Um, because it's more than just like thinking a thought, right? Let's see what it says here. It says, oh, that's a really helpful uh, definition. The act or process of meditating. Thanks, Webster. Appreciate that. So I guess we should just do meditate. Um, To engage in contemplation or reflection. To engage in contemplation or reflection. To engage in mental exercise for the purpose of reaching a heightened level of spiritual awareness. Isn't that interesting? Think of that definition. That's the second definition here. To engage in mental exercise for the purpose of reaching a heightened level of spiritual awareness. That's what I'm talking about. It's exactly what we're talking about. To reach a heightened level of spiritual awareness. (laughs) I don't know how it's been stolen from Christians, but this is a godly principle. We're supposed to meditate on the things of God. You know, it's mind blowing to me. I've watched some uh, documentaries and I've seen some things on, um, they did a documentary once on serial killers. And this was like mind blowing to me that from their own mouths, some of these guys said that one of the elements that took them from a normal person into the action of killing people was these meditations that they would obviously not guard themselves against, but they would just, one guy I listened to, and he's very famous. If I said his name, you'd know exactly who he was. He said, you know, he'd kind of be sitting around and he'd have these like focused imaginations, focused uh, um, you could call the meditations. He was, uh, basically role playing it out in his head of like, what? and I've mentioned this on the broadcast. He'd start thinking things to himself like, well, what if I was driving down the road one night and uh, saw a hitchhiker and then I decided to pick them up and I decided to take them out to where nobody would ever see. And then I could just kill them and leave their butt. And he, he'd imagine it all out. And these guys that one of the things that the threads that tied them is that they would, they'd have these constant meditations. Well, obviously these are demonically inspired thoughts, but you can think Holy ghost inspired thoughts and that process of meditation. One of the things that they, they recognized was there came a time in their life where they were going down the road at night and there was a hitchhiker, but you know what? By that point, they already knew everything they would do because they had spent so much time meditating upon what their actions would be. Imagine 
if you did that from a Holy Ghost perspective, I've done it. You know, I've thought about like, what, what am I going to do the first time that somebody sows a million dollars into this ministry or into me personally? I've sat and thought about it. I've sat and thought about the ministries that I'm going to bless when, when that comes into my hand, that first $1 million check. What, what, is, what ministries am I going to bless? What am I going to do for the kingdom of God? And I've sat there and meditated on that, on drives in the car, on uh, uh, plane rides, sitting around. What am I going to do? And there's several, several situations. There's times where you read the word of God and then you sit there and meditate on what that means to you, what that means in your life. You could sit there and just meditate on how good God's been to you and the goodness and the mercy he's shown you. You could sit there and just meditate on how he's blessed your family, how he's protected you from, from the wickedness of this world. And you sit there and meditate on the goodness of God. Meditate on, you know, and you know what's going to happen is you're going to end up thanking him. You're going to end up praising him. You're going to end up uh, pray, sitting there praying and, and just engaging him. Meditation. Meditation is so key because it is a focus for your love. It's a focus for your love. I want to start there. Number two, let me give you this now. Uh, We talked about number one, your love direction. Now let's talk about your dedication direction, your dedication direction. Um, I gave you this John Maxwell quote a little while back. I'm going to say it again because it applies here. Extremely, extremely important thought. You can act your way into feeling long before you can feel your way into action. I'm going to say that again. You can act your way into feeling long before you can feel your way into action. What do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's this thing we've been on for, for a little while here where we've talked about uh, how much more impactful dedication is than passion. People that, that depend on their passion to make things a regular part of their life. I'm going to go to the gym every week, every day, three days a week. If they just depend on passion, if they just depend on how they feel, guess what? That's going to end very quickly. And that's why I always tell you about that quitters day in January. (laughs) They've actually called it now quitters day because after about 12 to 18 days, people have quit their new year's resolutions. You can act your way into feeling long before you can feel your way into acting. Uh, And and the key is this, I'm going to discipline myself, dedicate myself to doing the things. I'll go against what my flesh feels like and I do it because this is what we do. This is what an on fire person does. It really changes your identity, right? So, uh, I gave you that story when I was reading atomic habits of the guy that couldn't, he really could not get himself to eat properly. Couldn't get himself to exercise properly. And he said, uh, it was not until he had changed his identity where he said, you know what? He started calling himself an athlete. And then he'd say, you know what? When he'd think about the junk food, when he'd think about fast food or whatever, you know what he would say to himself? Athletes don't eat like that. Athletes work out like this. Athletes live like this. And when he changed his identity, 
then he wasn't basing his choices on whether or not he had the passion to do it or the oomph to do it. It was, this is my discipline because this is who I am. You see, this is my discipline because this is who I am. There's plenty of times, you know, it's like when I'm in church almost every night of the week, all the time. And then I come home, of course, my body's tired. I preach, I preach all the time, two times a day. You know, I'm on the road constantly with my family preaching revivals and I get home and I'm taking some rest. Of course, my body's tired from going every single night. But do I ever, do I say like last night was Wednesday. Do I say to myself, well, I've been in revivals all the last few weeks and I'm getting ready to leave Saturday to do more revivals on the road. I think the Lord will understand if I just stay home tonight. No, I don't say that to myself. You know why? Because I am an on fire Christian and on fire Christians are faithful to church. On fire Christians are faithful to church. I'm not going to base whether or not I go to Wednesday night service or Sunday morning service on if my flesh feels like going to church. I base that on who I am. I'm an on fire Christian. I don't say to myself, well, you're a preacher. You got to be there. No, before I'm a preacher, I'm an on fire Christian. Before I'm an elder of the church, I'm an on fire Christian. On fire Christians are faithful to the house of God. My, my choices aren't based on my feelings. They're based upon my disciplines, which are defined by my identity. My identity defines my disciplines and those determine my actions. I'm again, I'm going to say that again so you can write it down. My identity defines my disciplines, which govern my actions. Please write that down. My identity defines my dedication, my discipline, which determined my actions. You got to see it that way. Got to see it that way. I do this not because I feel like doing it, but because of who I am, but because of who I am, I am an on fire Christian on fire. Christians are faithful to church. Where's my dedication direction. So again, going back to that example of somebody who's watching your life, if somebody was watching your life this week, would they see a person who went to church when the doors were open on Sunday and Wednesday? Would they see a person that opened their Bible and read it every day? Would they see a person who prayed every day? Would they see a person who was sharing their faith with other people? What would people see if they did an outside audit of your Christian life, right? My identity defines my discipline, which governs my actions. So if someone viewed your life for a week, outside audit, what, what things would they see that would peg you as an on fire Christian? Do you know that a Barna research group, uh, did a study on people reading the Bible in America and Christians reading the Bible. It wasn't the large portion of Christians in America that said they read the Bible every day. It was a sliver. However, there was a, a bigger group that said, I read the Bible at least three times a week. There was another that said, I read the Bible once a week. And then there was another that said, I read the Bible once a month or once every few weeks. So which, which group are you going to be in? Which group are you going to find yourself in? Are you the on fire? Or are you the status quo Christian? Are you the Easter and Christmas Christian? See your identity defines your actions. I'm going to crack that Bible open every day and read it and read it. Because if somebody was watching me and by the way, somebody is watching you, it's the Lord, the Lord's watching you. 
I'm going to get into his word daily. I'm going to pray daily. I'm going to be in church every time the doors are open. Well, but my job doesn't, I have to work on, tell your job you're not working on Sunday mornings. They're not, they cannot. And you know what? If they give you a hard time about it, tell them I'll take legal action because you are coming against my religious right to worship. Imagine them telling a Muslim that they can't go to mosque on Fridays. Please would never happen in, in, in the Detroit area. They let Muslim children miss school without penalty for mosque. So don't tell me that a Christian can't stand up. They have separate rooms set aside for Muslim children to go pray in school. The headline read in Michigan, prayer is back in schools, but not for you. Prayer is back in schools, but not for you. It's for the Muslim children. You're going to tell me, well, my boss doesn't let, he doesn't let me get off on Sunday mornings. You tell them you're not coming. And if they penalize you for it, you'll take legal action because you're restricting my right to worship in America. And they're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to do that. I do what the Bible says to do. Not because I feel like it all the time, but because it's my identity. It's what defines me. So if somebody was auditing you from the outside, what would they see in your life? Are you praying daily? Are you reading the word of God daily? See, all these things play back into you being on fire. If I'm praying daily, guess what? The fire of God's coming back on me again. When I pray and get in his presence, joy's coming on me. Power's coming on me. It's being stirred up in me. When I read his word, it delivers to me what I need. It's meat to me. It's, it's fuel to me. It's strength to me. It's success to me. When I go to his house, guess what's happening? I'm sitting under one of the five-fold ministry gifts. I'm being perfected. I'm being equipped. I'm being strengthened. I love it. I love it. So your dedication direction. Number three. I'm getting ready to step on some toes, so get some steel-toed work boots on. Right this very moment, get ready. Your toes are getting ready to be stepped on. Your relationship direction. Got to talk about this. Here's where most Christians fail. And then it bleeds into the other areas. Number three, the relationship direction. Have you governed your relationships? Are you still hanging out with people that don't give a crap about church or God? Are you still hanging with people? Are they still speaking into your life? Are they still uh, coming around all the time? And you've made relationships with people that are going in a different direction than you're going. Is that still happening in your life? One of the things that I see that takes Christians out more quickly than anything else is that they have surrounded themselves with the wrong people. You've surrounded yourself with the wrong people. Why would I want to surround myself with people that think that the word of God, the house of God, it's all foolishness to them? Why, why do I, that to me, that's my biggest lifeline. That's my biggest resource. God's presence, his word, his house. And there's people, oh, that, that stuff doesn't work. That's all, you're in a cult. I had somebody write on Instagram this week because I put that thing up about the kids praising God and getting baptized and shouting and dancing and praising and repenting of sin. And 
Somebody just wrote cult. You don't even know what a cult is, you moron. You didn't even bother to crack a dictionary open. It's a cult. You don't know what a cult is. You still have lint in your toes in your mom's basement. You chubby son of a gun. <laughs> it's a cult. You don't know what a cult is. And people don't know. And they're hanging around people that badmouth church, badmouth the word of God, the house of God, the people of God. And then they wonder, how come my fire's dying out? Because you got a wet blanket for a best friend. That's why. Got a wet blanket for a best friend. You come back from revival, you're all feeling the power of God's on you, and then they come over for dinner. Rain on your parade. Doesn't mean you don't love people. Doesn't mean you don't pray for people. Doesn't mean you're not believing for their salvation. But let me tell you something. Let me read you what Paul wrote just to help you. Second Corinthians chapter six. You ready? Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 through 18. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord does Christ have with Belial or Belial, which is the devil? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You see that? For God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing and I'll welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. So the question we ask ourselves is, what business do I have making people that are unbelievers my best friend. Who's my best friend? I don't care if it's been your best friend since high school. Doesn't matter. And people are, I don't know, I'm struggling. I don't know why I'm struggling. Maybe because you got somebody in your life that just constantly speaks doubt and unbelief because they're not regenerated with salvation. And instead of speaking the word of God with you and over you and uh, strengthening you and sharpening you, like Proverbs says happens when two people come together that are of like faith. Instead, they're dulling your blade and they're throwing a wet blanket on the fire of God. And they don't, they don't have any desire to, do, to go the direction you're going. So you know what happens? You link yourself to them and then it's just constant tension because you're going towards the direction that's pleasing to God and they're going on the direction that is displeasing to God and where you're linked is bringing total tension. Total tension. What direction is your relationship going? If you're single watching this and you're dating somebody that's unsaved, break up with them immediately. What are you thinking? What are you even doing? Can't missionary date somebody. You can't French kiss anybody into the kingdom. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Tension. Why would you link yourself up with an unbeliever? Now, if you're already married to that person, you pray for them. You don't leave them. <laughs> you pray for them. Ask God to save them. I was watching Brother Ted and he said to leave you, so I'm packing my bags. I'm out of here. <laughs> Don't do that. 
That's right, Gina. <laughs> That's exactly right. Relationships can be the biggest thing that holds people back. Big, one of the biggest things. I, can, can I tell you, from experience of being an evangelist, how many people I've seen get saved at a revival and then they leave there, they go back and uh, they get around their old friends, do the same stuff, and before you know it, they're living the same life again. Yeah, Caitlin's right. Don't be that person like, well, I'm going to change them. It doesn't happen. They change you. I prayed for a girl. Let me tell you, I called a girl out two years ago. I guess it's been a year now. Uh, professed lesbian. Um, she was there in the service, attended the service. And, uh, and of course, I didn't know she was a lesbian. She wasn't like actively making out with another girl in the pew. But I called her out. She was, the power of God was on her and she was weeping. I had her stand. I said, lift your hands. The Lord's setting you free today. Gave her a word from the Holy Spirit, laid hands on her. Power of God hit that girl and she was crying and repenting. I mean, she, she really got touched by the power of God and got saved, answered the altar call. Problem is when she left there, she made that same mistake of going back getting back around her friends that are also lesbians and told them, you know, what happened and everything. And then they start scolding her. You shouldn't have been in there. What are they trying to heal your gay? I mean, like whatever, whatever they said. And then talked her out of, of serving the Lord. You know, and then she starts going online. I should have never been in that church. What was I thinking? You know, uh, there, you know and all this, all this different stuff. What happened? Did God really touch her? Yes. Did she get saved? She did. What happens? She goes back and doesn't sever wrong relationships. And what's going to happen when you do that? If you're not strong in the Lord, especially, you're done. You're done. And people aren't, they don't guard themselves. And so uh, we're talking about how do you ensure, how do you protect yourself? Make sure the fire does not go out. You're staying on fire for God. Number one, you determine the direction of your love and focus. Number two, you determine the, the direction of your dedication. What actions am I taking by discipline to ensure that people could even see by just looking at me without me saying anything? Man, they're on fire for God. Number three, my relationships. I wouldn't mind relocating, Marcus. I wouldn't mind it at all. Find an on-fire church that's got young people coming and do it. Whatever. Relocate if you have to. Or be the one that starts getting young people saved and bring them into your church. Relationships are huge. They will make you or break you. They'll make you or they will break you. Let me give you number four. Interesting one here. The, your treasure direction. Your treasure direction. Matthew chapter six, let's go there. Your treasure direction. Listen to what the Bible says here. I'm gonna read you Matthew six, 
verses 19 through 24. Listen to this now. Don't lay up treasures for yourselves on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your whole body be full of darkness. And the light in, uh, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Listen to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There it is. You can't serve God and money. If you think that this passage is about not being uh, wealthy or not having more than enough because it's displeasing to God, then that means God blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, uh, anybody in the Bible that was blessed. He blessed them into abundance so that they'd be displeasing to him. And that's stupid. It's not the point that Jesus is making. The point Jesus is making is there are people who live to make money, to lay up treasure. Their focus is money, 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 things, things, things. A great example of this would be the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Remember the story. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19 comes to Jesus And he says, I want to be your disciple. What do I need to do? Jesus said, go and keep all the commandments. He said, I've done that since I was a little boy. What else? Look at this. If you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. And my grandfather preached great possessions had him. This is the kind of person that Jesus was talking about. The person that has all this stuff, but the stuff runs them. The stuff runs them. These are people that will work three jobs to get more money and they'll skip church on Sunday morning to work more hours because they get overtime. You are run by money. These are people that won't tithe. They won't give. Why? Because money's got a hold on them. One thing you'll find is what you spend money on is what you love. What you spend money on is what you love. There's guys that will spend all kinds of money on very expensive hunting clothing, hunting gear, hunting trips, all this stuff. They'll go on, they'll go on, they'll get a plane ticket. They'll fly up into the northern parts of Canada. There's people that go hunt moose, hunt elk. They'll spend money, really good money on all these really well done and insulated hunting clothes. They've got their weapons. They've got their, all this stuff. Why? They really love hunting. They really love hunting. I don't own any of that stuff. You know why? I really don't care about hunting that much. If I did, you'd see it in the actions that I take. Now, what do I own a lot of? I own a bunch of stuff uh, that's, that's music and tech related. Cause I'm a musician and I love music. And so I have, my wife laughs at me. I probably have 12 or 13 keyboards in the house, piano keyboards, different synthesizers, different. They fill my office. 
I've got all kinds of different plugins and things to make music and I, all kinds of stuff. Got a guitar. I mean, all, why, why have I spent all this money and all this stuff? Cause it's what I enjoy. It's what I enjoy. See, you will put your, your money, you'll put your resources toward the things that you appreciate. Uh, you never can let those things run you. You can never be a person that those things run your life. What if God told me to give all my keyboards away? They'd be gone. And I've given many, many keyboards away. I remember because there was a, a, a phase where I was really getting into sneakers. And I've told this story before, but I was really getting into sneakers and I, I enjoyed sneakers and buying retro, retro sneakers and stuff. I had like 14 pairs of dead stock retro Jordans in the closet, 14 pairs of retro dead stock Jordans. And I was in a service with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown and the Lord uh, spoke to me um, to just sew them all. He said, what are you going to do with all those shoes? What are you doing sitting there with all those shoes in your house? And you're going to, and he spoke to me. I said, Lord, I'll give them away right now. I love them. You know, some of those pairs people bought for me, some were gifts, some cost, you know, uh, upwards of $500 for one pair. I said, Lord, I'll give them away now. I went home that week, took every box out of that closet, brought it to the church and gave it to the young men. Why? Because I want to prove to the Lord. I want to prove to the Lord that he can keep blessing me with things, but things will never have me. If he told me to give it all away today, it go out the door. It'll go out the door because I don't serve shoes and I don't serve musical gear and I don't serve tech stuff. And I, I, that's not my master. That's not my master. It's stuff and stuff comes, stuff goes, but I serve the Lord. I serve the Lord. And if he told me to give it, it's gone because he's my master, not the stuff. He's my master. Somebody put good coffee. Yes. I own a lot of good coffee stuff now. Why? Because I have bad influences around me like Tiffany Farley who have made me a coffee snob. I'm now a coffee snob. I have to admit it. I am. I wet the filter. I do a bloom pour. I don't care. It makes it taste better. I grind whole beans now. I did. I used to be satisfied with Keurig. I was a Keurig man. And then my eyes were opened. It was like the matrix. I took the red pill and I saw things I'd never seen before. And now I'm carrying on the plane to make in hotel rooms, a full out grinder, a full out brewer, full out beans from Brazil or wherever they come from, Ecuador, Kenya. And I'm grinding whole beans in a coffee, in a coffee grinder in a hotel room. I earned, yes, Mary Beth, we did try the coffee you bought and thank you, it was great. Appreciate it very, very much. And so, you know, you're surrounded by bad influence. Going back to the relationships, okay? Back to the relationships. There are people that will pull you head and shoulders into that coffee life. But look, why am I willing to spend money on coffee equipment? Because I love coffee. I enjoy it. So I'll be willing to spend money on it. And so that's what you see with people. And this is the final thing you have to look at. Where's my treasure direction? Because look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, where your treasure is, or I believe it's verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I laugh when people are like, yeah, I'm sold out to God, brother. I'm sold out to God. They don't even tithe. They don't even tithe. Don't tell me you're sold out to God. You don't even tithe. Can you imagine saying like, well, I really love this girl. 
I really love, yeah, we were talking about that the other day. Amira Princess said, a lady at church told me to stop drinking coffee because it's a drug. There's these people that are so crazy now. They're stopping everything. Before these people are done, all they'll have is water and soy. That's all they're going to have. A piece of like tofu and, a, and some water. That's all they're going to have by the end of the day. Um, there's people that tell me they're sold out to God. Imagine saying as, as a, a husband or somebody that's, a, that's going to be a husband. say, like, oh, I'm, I love this woman. I'm sold out. But you're not even willing to spend money on a ring. Like, well, I don't know if I'm going to spend money on an engagement ring. You know, I don't love her that much. <laughs> well, that just shows where you're at. You're not willing to direct your treasure toward the one you love. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, and I don't mean you don't have money for a ring. I mean like you've got money for a ring, but you won't, you won't spend it. Don't tell me, well, I love this girl. I'm going to give my whole life. I'm going to spend my whole life with her. She's my soulmate. Well, I'm not going to buy a ring. I'm going to spend money on a ring. She doesn't need a ring. Don't tell me. You're sold out. If people, I'm sold out to God. He's got my, he's my master. He's got my whole life, but you won't even tithe. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. The checkbook is the last bastion of defense against selling out to God. Last bastion. It's the last thing that goes because you can fake everything else. You can come and fake lift your hands and sing a song and you can come fake and get excited about what God's doing. All that stuff. You can fake it like you're spiritual, but the real test at the end of the day is, am I, am I willing to connect my resources to the things of God? Am I willing to connect my resources to the things of God? <laughs> Amir said, I think she may have rebuked me in her thoughts because she seemed angry at me. It could be. People get crazy. You ask yourself, if I really love God, if I'm on fire, am I willing to be not only a tither, but a generous giver? My prayer every year with, with Carolyn is, Lord, put the biggest seeds in our hand this year that we have ever sown in the history of our lives. Let us, when I look at it, I want the largest money that goes out every year to be sowing money. I want the largest money that goes out every year to be sowing money. And I mean cumulatively. And I can tell you something. My biggest expense in my life that, to, that I could even compare it to would have to be my mortgage. Have to be my mortgage. That's the biggest amount of money that I release for one thing every year. And can I tell you, our giving goes beyond our mortgage. <laughs> it goes beyond, beyond our mortgage. I thank God, and this is not me bragging, let me, let, me, let me tell you where God will take you. I sowed with my wife one seed this year, one offering. We gave as much in one offering as we would in probably eight and a half months of mortgage, eight and a half months of mortgage payments, one offering. That's just one of the offerings we gave this year. So I, I want God to know, like my house is not above your kingdom. Think of it this way. My house, where I live, that's not more important to me than your kingdom. The car that I drive, and I drive a very nice car, but it's not above the kingdom. <laughs> it's not above the kingdom. 
Not even close. It doesn't even come close to what I give in offerings to the Lord. Not even close. Not even close. So the two biggest things that are expenses, my mortgage and my car, they don't even come close to the, to the offerings that I give to the Lord. You know why? I want the Lord to know. And of course he knows all things, but I want him to know by my actions. Your kingdom is first. Your kingdom is first before my stuff. Your kingdom is first. And the Lord knows he'll be honored. His men will be honored. Can I tell you this? <clears throat> this is the way I'm just teaching you. I can only give you examples from my own life. This is, I hope you understand that I'm not bragging. I have no desire to brag and I don't even need to do it. I just want you to see principles that we've set up to be blessed and to know that I'm never going to lose my fire. I don't just tithe. We don't just give offerings and we don't just bless the poor and we do all those things. But you know, I do what Paul said and Paul taught to the Corinthians. If a man of God ministers spiritual things to you, you should minister material things back to him. And so I make sure we've chosen ministers, obviously our pastors, one, you should as well, that every month, every month, we make sure that we give an offering, a financial offering to these men of God, that's for them. It's not for the church. It's not my tithe. It's not my offering to the church. It's not even blessing the poor. This is separate. I call it a seed of honor. To the men of God that are speaking into my life, I'm putting an offering in their hand. And I can tell you, even though I uh, drive a very nice car, the offerings that we give monthly to these ministers, for them personally, is more than the car payment. It's more than the car payment. Because I want the Lord to know, I don't just honor you with my tithe. I don't just honor you with my offering. I don't just honor you by blessing the poor, but I honor you by blessing the men of God that you have set into the body to perfect the saints. You know, we were, we were just at the uproar conference and, um, uh, pastor Chris Durso from, from New York city was there. And he really said something that I thought was so good. I mean, he said a lot of things that were great, but I, he, I, I caught this, I caught this and I thought it was so good. I want to share it with you. He said, you know, when you, when you honor a man or a woman of God, I thought this was excellent. When you honor a man or a woman of God, it's so powerful because you are aligning yourself with God's preferential choices. Think about that because you can't just decide to be a man or woman of God, right? You don't just decide to be called into the fivefold ministry gifts. God has to call you into it. He has to appoint you. He has to call you. I mean, you can, but it'll come to nothing. God has to call you. And so when you bless or honor men or women of God, the reason it's so powerful is because you are aligning yourself with God's preferential choices. You're saying, you know what? God, I agree with your choice. I agree with your 
pick. I agree with the call you made. And because you honor God, really, when you're honoring them, you're honoring God. He honors you. The blue haired grandma on YouTube. Yes, that's exactly right. You do have to mentor and follow up and teach them. But again, blue haired grandma, it's not an internment camp. You don't lock people in the church and disciple the crap out of them. They have a free will. They go home. And so in order to be discipled, people have to choose by their free will to come back and be discipled. Some people choose to do that. Others don't. And you can't violate people's free will. It's not Nazi Germany. And so if you're referring to that girl that went back to her friends and got back into the old lifestyle, that happens because people don't do what's right. It's not like the Holy Spirit doesn't help you. He does help you and he convicts you. And I pray the Lord's still working on that young girl. She's heard the word and she has people that, of course, the church reaches out, but you can't force people. And the same here, you can't force people to be sold out in their giving and to treasure God's kingdom. But that has to be something you do internally. Say, God, I'm going to align myself with your choices. And let me tell you, when the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you know, think about this, that works not just with sowing only, but imagine this, it works even the way you direct the treasure of your time for prayer. You know, it's very hard to speak against someone or gossip about someone that you've spent an hour praying for. If you just spent an hour of your time praying for somebody that God would use them, that God would bless them, that God would protect them, that God would keep them from harm and danger, that God would give them revelation, that God would strengthen their purpose. You're not going to be quick to go out after that hour of prayer and then start gossiping about that person. Why? Because you've spent all that time putting your treasure What is your treasure? Your time. You can never get it back. You can never get it back. Liz said, how can one confirm if you're called into the ministry or if you're doing it on your own? Well, just in the same way you would know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger's they will not follow. You have to be a Christian that is able to be led by the spirit and to know his voice, to know his voice. And the thing is, you can know the voice of God and we're called to know the voice of God. And then I believe God confirms it. You know, I knew it at five years old. And if a five-year-old can know it, an adult can know it. You can know the voice of God. You got to be led by the spirit. Have to be. Very good question. And so let me, let me finish by saying this before we pray. Connecting your resources to the kingdom of God ensures, watch this now, it ensures that you've made an investment. And when you've made an investment, it invests your heart. It invests your heart. If I'm fully in on the kingdom, which I am, if I'm fully in, my heart's there. My heart's there. If I'm pouring that much of myself into the kingdom, my heart's there. (laughs) You know, it's like, uh, we talked about this a little bit when there's like something that's free, People don't always value what's free, but they do value what they pay for, what they invest in. For example, even things that are extremely cheap. So let me give it to you this way so you understand my point. Have you ever just gone to one of those kiosks in the mall that sells sunglasses, three pairs for $25? 
You ever been to one of those? And you go get a pair of glasses that cost you maybe 15 bucks or 10 bucks. You lose those bad boys left and right. It's like going back to buy another pair of glasses, going back to buy another pair of glasses. You sit on them, you leave them somewhere, you leave them in a restaurant, you lose them, you drop. You ever had that happen? But then I bet you money, if you were to go out and buy a pair of $300 glasses or $500 glasses from Sunglass Hut or somewhere, you would start thinking a whole lot differently about those glasses. Where's my glasses? Did I leave it? You'd be thinking, are those in the car? Did they fall out of my pocket? Are they in the restaurant? You'd go back. You'd be checking. What's the difference? They're both sunglasses. You know what the difference is? The investment that you made into that thing. If it's 10 bucks and you leave it and you're 20 minutes down the road, like, you know what? I'll just get another pair at the next time I go to the mall. If it's 500 bucks, you better believe you're swinging that car around and headed back to the restaurant to find those glasses. It's a big difference when you've made an investment. The investment determines how you feel about the thing. That's why I'm teaching you this point. The investment determines how you feel about the thing. And if I've placed my investment in the kingdom of God, what did Jesus say? That's where my heart's going to be. That's where my heart's going to be. On fire people are sowers and they're generous sowers. On fire people are generous sowers. No question. So let me hit these four again before we pray. Number one, what direction is your love flowing? That's your focus. Number two, what direction is your dedication flowing? Number three, what direction are your relationships flowing? And finally, what direction is your treasure flowing? Where is your treasure? It determines where your heart is, determines where your fire is. Let me pray for you. I'm believing that anybody that's connected to this ministry, you will never lose your fire in Jesus' name. Maybe you're watching me and you're at a point in your life where you're, uh, thank you, Pastor Kathy, love you very much. Maybe you're at a point in your life where your fire has died down. Maybe your fire's died down and you, you need to, uh, as you would, throw fuel on that fire. If it was a campfire, what do you do? You throw more logs on, you begin to blow on the flames. Maybe you're at that place where your fire has died down and you need to build that fire back up again. Maybe you haven't taken stock in a while and you can feel my fires. I'm not as hot as I once was, maybe even a year ago. Today's the day to rededicate and say, Lord, I'm not going to lose my fire. I'm not going to let my heart grow cold. I'm not even going to be lukewarm. The word of God, the Bible says that when, uh, the Lord saw that church that was not hot or cold, Revelation 3:16. He said, because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He said, I would rather that you be cold or hot. We've made up in our minds, we're going to be hot. We're going to be hot. Why? Because our first dedication, it's not to America. It's not to our job. It's not, it's not, it's to nothing but to the Lord, to his kingdom. We're sold out. I want to pray for you ask God that he would set you ablaze again. And then you start to employ these four things. You'll never lose your fire. You'll never lose your fire. Never. Father, I pray for your people today. Those that are watching, those that are listening on the podcast, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would set their hearts on fire again, set them ablaze 
in these final moments of time before Jesus comes, let us be the ones that are the remnant, those that will stand for what your word says, that will be unashamed of the fact that we serve the Lord, of the fact that we believe your word and that we stand on it and we won't compromise it in Jesus' name. Give us a passion for souls. Give us a heart for your kingdom. Use us mightily in these final moments of time. Though others might be growing cold, though others might be falling away, we declare that'll never be our story in Jesus' name. That'll never be our story in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I ask you to touch your people today. If they need a miracle from heaven, if they need healing in their body, if they need deliverance for their mind, if they're believing for household salvation, touch them today. Open the windows of heaven, we ask you, over their house. Pour them out a blessing they don't have room enough to contain in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We, get, we dedicate ourselves afresh to you today. We are your servants. We are your children and we love you. We thank you for all you're doing and all you're about to do in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, today is the day that we're sending out the RSVP to the partners. As we said at the beginning, we want to give you an opportunity to sow into this ministry. We want to give you an opportunity to partner. Maybe you, maybe you're new here. You don't even know what we're doing in the ministry. Can I encourage you to do something? Go to miracleword.com, click the partner page and look at all that we're doing as, a, as this ministry moves forward. Not only are we preaching live crusades around this nation, other nations, not only are we using media like this to touch the uh, world every day, but now we're on television in over 180 nations of the world and we're getting ready to expand again. And God's using it to bring people into the kingdom. Our phones are blowing up with people getting saved and filling out the form to be discipled digitally. And we're discipling people through our what's next program where they're going through the teaching on what it means to be a Christian and answering the questions for those that have those questions. How do I successfully serve the Lord? We're doing it all over the world. People are a part of it from nations around the world. You're a part of that as you sow. You're a part of it. I see one of our partners right there, Chris, uh, that's watching from Pennsylvania. As he sows, as you sow, you're a part of this world being shaken by the power of God before Jesus comes. And so we've been praying. We've asked people to stand with us at $85 a month or more. There's many that are sowing more, $100 a month, $500 a month, $1,000 a month, some more than that. And so we want to encourage you, what can you do by faith to see God change your generation? Where can you direct your treasure? Where are your resources going to show the Lord, I am sold out to the kingdom of God. And if you'd like to stand with us in monthly partnership, go to the website, miracleword.com, click the partner page, fill out the form and stand with us. If you'd like to sow a one-time seed today, you can use the website with a credit or debit card, PayPal, Cash App. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, hashtag donate. You can use Venmo. Uh, Zelle is available. You can even sow by cryptocurrency if you'd like to do that as well. Um, but do what it is the Lord's telling you to do. You'll be blessed. For the month of August, a gift that we want to send you for being someone that's standing with us and sowing seed, it's a book by Bishop David Oyedepo called Operating in the Supernatural. Powerful man of God and a powerful book. How to Operate in the Supernatural Power of God. If you'd like to receive this, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Tell us how you sowed your seed. Give us your address so that we can send you a copy of the book. It will stir your spirit up, stir your faith up. And then, of course, 
For those sewing $1,000 or more, we're going to include a genuine leather copy of a life application study Bible. I'll sign it, send it to you. And then we've got people that are sowing large seeds, $5,000 or more. We have something that we put together as a gift to say thank you for standing with us. It's the Elite Study Collection. Uh, for people that are sewing $5,000 or more, we've put together the best Bible study tools available in a keepsake box that we put together as our way of saying thank you for taking a significant step of faith to push the gospel forward. That's our way of saying thank you. Now, let me one more time, uh, just a couple of things I want to make you aware of before I go. Uh, for those of you that are partnering with us, uh, today's the day we're going to be emailing you, but first texting you to give you the link to RSVP for the Victory Tribe homecoming week end that's coming up in November. It's a Friday night open revival service for everybody in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's Central Assembly of God. And then the 13th is the Saturday afternoon lunch that is uh, closed to only our partners. And um, so as a partner, you're going to get a text from me today if you're signed up for texts and you're going to get an email. They will have the link so that you can RSVP. You have to RSVP to be a part of this lunch um, because we have limited space. The room can only hold a hundred people. So uh, the, the restaurant's wonderful. The hotel is beautiful. It's going to be at the Renaissance Hotel in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We even have a room block that you can get a rate to be part of the uh, uh, block if you're staying there. If you would rather choose another place, we've included two other hotels locally that are close by the church and the other hotel where the lunch will be that you could choose from. All that information will be on the page. And uh, so that, that's exactly what we're going to do today. Um, and then if you want to make your plans to travel, to book your hotels, flights, people are already booking their flights. People are already like ready to come be with us and we're excited to hang with you. Uh, this is going to be awesome. It's not going to be the last one of these that we do. We're going to get together again and again. So, uh, but this is our very first one that we've ever done and we want to see you there. So, uh, Victory Tribe Homecoming Weekend coming up in November. All the info's going out today. We hope you're ready. Uh, RSVP as soon as you can. Tell us who's going to be coming. There's, there's going to be a form on that page where you can tell us who's coming with you from your immediate family. Once again, can I say this? If you're bringing anybody from your family, we ask that you uh, please don't bring, if possible, children that are under 12 because of the fact we'll have no child care and uh, it's just going to be mainly adults. And if you want to bring some teenagers or whatever, we understand that's fine. Uh, but people from your immediate family, the, the household that's partnering with our ministry, because we really do want to be able to fit in as many partners as possible to hang with you and to eat with you and spend time with you. We love you so much. Uh, tomorrow I'll be back in the morning. Carolyn will be back at 2 p.m. for Friday Favorites tomorrow. And um, it's going to be great. But, yep, yeah, Caitlin, get a babysitter. It's party time. It is party time. We might even have a dance-off between Caitlin and uh, Tiffany. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> Tiffany just died a thousand deaths. I love you. I'll see you again tomorrow morning. Have a wonderful and a blessed day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.